Hello everyone and this podcast is brought to you by Ross FM Sports Aiden Raftery. Enjoy this presentation. Very welcome to this week's uh, Sports Pulse with myself Aiden Raftery. We have a lot coming up from you over the next two hours. We have an interview with Ollie Colgan from the Roscommonel GFA and uh, we discuss about their win over Offaly as well as Jenny Higgins' is a 100th um, appearance for uh, in the Roscommon Colours and also a look ahead to their get the All-Ireland semi-final against Westmead and I also have I'm also chatting to Larry O'Gorman, former Wexford hurler as we look back at the weekend's matches hurler matches and of course look ahead to the net this this weekend uh, or the next round of matches so there's that and more and that's all coming up after this hello Aiden. can you hear me hello how you doing Larry welcome to this week's um hurling with the hurling way and I'd like to welcome the listeners to the podcast so Larry the last since the last time we've talked to we've spoken uh, there's been a lot of hurling action since the championship started I suppose no more so than Limerick's victory at the weekend and also Kilkenny coming from behind against Galway to uh, to win the Leicester title yeah uh, well personally I I, um, I fancied Limerick to win us but uh, fair play to Waterford to give them a great go of us you know to, to really give us give it their all um, under the new management of Liam Cahill and, and co you know so People were saying that Waterford were going very well in training, but we've seen a little bit more of Limerick so far this year. And to me, uh, I fancied Limerick going into the game, but to be quite honest, it was an absolute cracker of a match. And, you know, fair play to Waterford. You know, they're, they're still in the championship. You know, they're, they're up against Clare now this weekend. So uh, last weekend's game will really stand to them as well now. So, yeah, I, I fancied Limerick uh, from the start of the year. Uh, I still fancy him to go all the way, but you never know. You could get caught on the hop, but... Uh, to be quite honest, I think uh, Limerick will learn an awful lot more from that game now than than Waterford did. I think Waterford threw everything at Limerick and Limerick were sort of caught on the bounce on a couple of occasions and now they know where to sit down and, and adjust a couple of uh, mistakes and, and and just to deal with that in, in the next game. So, you know, as I said, overall it was a fantastic game. You know, it's great to see that we're getting plenty of good hurling, but looking back at the Leinster final as well, of course, uh, you know yourself in, uh, that was a crack of a match and Crack of a yeah. game, and you know people say never write off Kilkenny. Well, they've just proven it again last weekend. You know, don't write them off. It actually looked like Galway. It looked like Galway were in control of the game uh, most of the way through until Kilkenny made a few changes. But uh, I still say that Galway are there. Will, will be there thereabouts again. Of course, they're playing Tipperary at the weekend, and that should be another close encounter as well. So, Galway. I was speaking to a couple of Galway people. They're very disappointed. Uh, they thought they might have overturned Kilkenny. They didn't really see the game out good enough in the end. And through the game itself in general, I thought Galway had enough chances to go maybe eight or nine points up at the stage. Uh, Kilkenny got the goal. So they definitely left Kilkenny in the game. And it's not good yeah, It's not good to leave Kilkenny in a game or any team that's renowned for coming back in very tight games. Uh, Kilkenny proved that uh, Cody, his master class display again on the, on the sideline, making changes and, you know... Galway will be disappointed, but, you know, they're not out of the championship, you know, so I, they, will, they will be happy that they're still in the championship, but they won't be happy the way they finish the game. That's it. And I suppose a couple of points there on those couple of games there. I suppose the Limerick match, of course, Kyle Hayes stood out. Keen Lynch had had a great game in uh, 
you know, for Waterford. Then, of course, uh, the great Austin Gleeson played out a position of full forward. Normally, he's in the half back line, so that was a, that was an interesting one as well. Um, in the Leinster final, then I, I suppose you know Joe, Joe Canning was back to his uh, his great form, putting them over. But I suppose you know Kilkenny, of course, you know they've uh, you know TJ Reid, another DJ Kerry Mark too, really. And, yeah. Um, you you know as well as that, I suppose the game really took on a head of steam when uh, when they brought on Richie Hogan. Yeah, well, I think it was the, it was the last uh, throw the dice for Brink Cody. You know, he he sort of had an idea that Richie was going well in training and that he, he wouldn't have got the seventy minutes out of him. So, uh, you know, the plan was to put him in around the edge of the square, a danger man, and you give him ball into a hand, and I guarantee he'd make he'd make great use of it. And uh, I know the line ball that Galway actually got just prior to the goal. You know, the ball should have been given 60, 70 yards down the field, and it was a miss hit line ball and. All of a sudden, it ended up in, back in the Galway net, and uh, Richie got a great, fantastic goal. I must say, an absolute great, well thought out goal, you know, and quick thinking, quick wrists, and stuff like that. So, you know, Cody definitely got his homework right on that end of it as well. But as I said earlier, um, you know, uh, you need game changers. You know, a lot of teams have it, as you spoke earlier. Limerick certainly have a lot of guys to come into the into the squad or into the team. Uh, you know, Kilkenny have them. Go- Waterford have them so there's a lot of the big teams now have a great panel of 24, 25 and they're able to make changes you know without question of a doubt they, they don't care what who you are what you are if you're not going well whether you're Austin Gleeson or TJ Reid or whoever you are if you're not going well the managers will make the change and and, and, as, and as shown in the last couple of big games of course from a Wexford point of view we went down very badly again clear and if you really look at it uh, the subs that we brought on it, had no impact really whatsoever in the game. View, um, they would have been pleased with how Joe Canning per- performed as well. He he was very good for Galway, but uh, of course we couldn't uh, we we couldn't uh, not mention the the, the brilliant sideline cuts that he had. Like he put over he put over one or two from the sideline cut, and it's it's not too many in modern day hurling that have that skill. It's just a special a very specialized skill, isn't it? And he, he just seems to have that gift. Yeah, oh, that that's for sure. I remember him doing that minor in under twenty one finals as well. So it's in his genes, as they say. It's a natural thing for him to be striking at the post, and the, you know, they often say the more you practice, the better you get. And he just finds it as as easy as pie. One would say, throw the ball down on the ground, he'll have a whack at it. And everyone else around him expect him to have a shot, whether it goes over or not. But he's been very, very successful with them in the past, and he and today he's the very same. So. He's a very skillful hurler anyway, overall. Like, I mean, he just, he literally makes the ball talk every time he gets it into his hand, of course, you know. And he's one of those legends that youngsters really look up to, the likes of TJ Reid and, and Joe Canning and all these top hurlers. Tony Kelly is another one in, in prime form at the moment. And, and we love to see top class performances from top class hurlers. And, you know, Joe Canning has been doing it now since he was 17 or 18 or 19, since he joined the senior team. So, you know, you swear he was been around for the last 30 or 40 years, but. He's just one of those class acts, and, accents, really and you know, you just have to love him for what he does on the field. Play well, but I suppose if there were to take one thing from from that game, I suppose is the fact that they didn't close out the match. You know, when they had that lead, they just did. They didn't, uh, you know, they didn't close it out. They didn't kind of put them out, push uh, Kilkenny out of reach, which which cost them in the end because 
we know with, with the, the players that they have, Richie Hogan and TJ Reid that made the difference and of course all over the field. But uh, you know that that that's what that was the uh, you know that was the problem. Yeah. And of course going into that Tipperary game, another good side. You could nearly say that maybe the the Kilkenny were unlucky to us or um, Tipperary were unlucky to an extent to be uh, you know in, in the qualifiers. But um, you, you know they'll have to that that's it's something that they'd have to address against Tipperary if they're to beat Tipperary. And I suppose Tipperary aren't aren't a bad side either. And of course, they have the footballers yep. are still in the football chat. They're in the Munster final. So I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's interesting to see to see the two teams doing well. Yeah, there's a great buzz down around Tipperary. Would you believe it? Now I have a few relations down in Carrigan Shore and and Clamell, and they say there's a great buzz down around there at the present moment and. Uh, I know for a fact they didn't actually want to draw Galway in the last in the next round. You know, they reckon if they would have got Waterford or if they would have got Clear, they might have fancied themselves a bit better. Now their backs are against the wall, and they'll just have to knuckle down to it. And they know themselves it's a, it's a tough old turn turnover in terms of a seven day turnover to get, get to get back up. You know, and this this will be a great battle now. I think this will this will be the game of the weekend. I think now, and if it's a good try day. I know it's going to be a bit cool, but if it's good and dry and the ground is good under full conditions, I think we're going to see get one of the games of the year. So it's two strong physical teams going going at one another. So there will be uh, points of view on that. Some of the top marksmen now, I think, will be curtailed uh, from here on in. Whether you're Waterford, Clare, Kilkenny, or anywhere else now, uh, there'll be a setup now within each team to try and stop the big boys from from running away with high scores because certainly if you look over the last couple of games uh, with Tony Kelly's performance last weekend and, and Joe Canning and, and you know, T.J. Reid, he didn't have a great game but he still finished up at 1-8 or 1-9. So, you know, there's a lot of guys getting high scores and I often said if you can keep a, keep the one of their top marksmen down, keep their score levels down, it always gives give you a great chance. And, you know, it's going to be a, a ding-dong battle, all right, but uh, I still think that Galway are fit, they're hungry and they, they got a chance last weekend against Kilkenny to put them away as you said in they didn't take advantage of it there was a couple of goal chances opportunities but they were happy enough to tip it over the bar because Kilkenny were below par and they thought if they get maybe 8 or 9 points ahead of them that you know that Kilkenny were going to die away but of course Kilkenny never die away and if, as I said if Galway would have got a goal just before Kilkenny got their goal yes it would have been curtains for Kilkenny now Kilkenny are, are back in it again and who knows you know people are not really saying that Kilkenny are a great team but they're a dogged team uh, they have a great will to win and a great drive to keep motivating themselves on the field of play and Cody have no problem taking off big names like he did last Sunday with Colin Fenley and and uh, Walter Welch and all these guys as well so he don't mind he would trust in everyone that's in the panel and, and that's great to see from a manager uh, that he's able to trust everyone that's that's within the squad that they're capable of going out and producing the goods. So, you know, Kilkenny will be there thereabouts and you know, they say Clare are another team that wouldn't really have the strength and depth to go on to win an All-Ireland. But, you know, it's, it's the likes of these teams could pop up and, and create a bit of history. But to me, I still think that that's the it. likes of Galway and, uh, and Limerick are, are going to be a team to beat. For, uh, for um, Watt, the Waterford game against Limerick, it was, uh, you know, as I was saying there with, with, with regards to Austin Gleeson, we, we normally associate him with playing in the half-back line and what an incredible player he is, especially like he, he can do, the, he does his defensive work very well, but 
you know, he's also a great guy to come forward as well. And uh, but to, to actually, it was unusual for me. I thought that he actually that he was that he actually started in the full forward line. But it was a it was it was a move that nearly worked because he had a very good game. Oh, he did overall. He scored three fantastic points. You know, and he, he has played underage. He has played minor. He has won under 21. He's played midfield, centre forward, wing forward in previous years as well. So he's one of those natural hurlers. No matter where you put him, he'll always give a, a good account of himself. Uh, to me, I think you should have stuck with him in the forwards uh, in the in the past number of years because I think he, he'd been one of the top class forwards. And sometimes when you're dragged away from the goal and you become a defensive person, that your your mindset is being defensive all the time with a little bit of a of an attack. Uh, to to go with it, you know. So, you know, he, he sort of had to adjust themselves, just adjust themselves a little bit into the game. He was sort of coming out the field a bit too much and overrunning the play as well. So, he did work hard for the team. There's no question about it. But you know, they'll, they'll take a gamble on it the next day. They'll put it back in there again. And he is a threat to any team. He's one that you'll have to keep your eye on because if he gets close to the goal and you give him any chance of a of a pot of goal, he'll definitely take it. So, whatever they're after unearthing a couple of new youngsters in the last in the last year, definitely Liam Cahill has introduced a couple of new lads. He's got rid of some of the older lads, and he's looking for legs. He's looking for ability. He's looking for a bit of a good, a good combination of youth and a little bit of experience thrown in with that. And you know, it definitely showed up in last week's game against Limerick. Uh, uh, but I just thought overall that Limerick were a little bit too strong for him. And you know, he will learn an awful lot from that as well. So he'll be happy going into next weekend's game against Clare. And of course, Clare will be happy coming up against Watford as well to have rubbed shoulders against one another in the past number of years. But, uh, you know, he, he'll be delighted that he didn't get one of the big boys. So uh, it should be interesting. Uh, Liam Cal has a, he's a very shrewd manager. Uh, he loves the game. He breeds the game very well into youngsters. And, and Watford will have really, great hope you know, going into next weekend's game. In the qualifiers and also the uh, Leinster and the Leinster and Munster champions, uh, you know, with all those teams that are still in it, there you, you could say that there's no there there aren't any easy teams that any team would prefer to get over another because and uh, you know a lot uh, Limerick would be kind of a lot of people's favourites to win the All Ireland, but there's a good bit to go yet. I mean, there's the All Ireland quarter quarter there's the semi final, the quarter final and semi final and things like that. But, uh, you know, the, the other teams will be difficult to beat as well. And, of course, like Limerick have so much, so much talent from 1 to 15. You know, that they'll be, you know, the quality shown between the league and the championship. Oh, yeah. You know, it's going to be hard to beat them. But, uh, you know, if, Gal- if Galway can kind of learn to close out, close out games, you know, when they have a, a command and lead, that, that was the key. Because I suppose they, you know, as I said, Limerick or, um, you know, Lim- or Kilkenny kept chipping away at their lead and but I suppose that that was down to the fact too that maybe Galway gave away some some silly some daft freeze in very scoreable positions especially with someone like TJ Reid taking the freeze Yeah absolutely I agree with you 100% you know uh, 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 Galway definitely left Kilkenny in the game the last day there's no question about it and when you get to the quarter final stages and the half or the, uh, the semi final stages there's no way in the wide empty world should you be letting teams uh, stay in the game with yourself. And uh, managers will be drilling this in the players now in the last week and next week as well. You know, 
we, we cannot sit back here. We get a chance to drive forward. We got to drive forward and we got to put these teams away early. So it also gives the opposition a chance, of course. Sorry, it also gives that team a chance. If a team gets, gets well up in scoring terms and they're eight or nine points or ten points up and the opposition have no way of catching them, well, then it also gives the chance to a manager to take some of his top players off just to give them a break because the way they're playing week in and week out now can be very heavy and very tiresome on the players. So, you know, it'll be interesting how it will go, but I, I can't see too many games now being... being uh, Hello? ...from here on in because uh, too many good managers there and there's too many good players on... Yeah, and... Uh... I suppose really just, All right, just a few predictions really of the match. Um, you know, Galway play Tipperary in the qualifiers. What are your thoughts on that? Who do you think will come out on top in that one? Yeah, well, I tell you, now, Tipperary haven't been hitting the ground running yet. You know, they, they do improve as the year goes on and that's because of the underfoot conditions and they love the sun on their back and they like to get the ball moving quick. Uh, unfortunately, because of the terms and conditions and, and <laughs> the 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 position that the GA world is in at the moment and the championship is nearly running the winter season uh, they'll find the underfoot condition a little bit heavier where Galway to me uh, seem to be able to cope with that a, a little bit better uh, they have a lot of experience in David Burke uh, Grode McInerney you know all the way up uh, to Joe Canning Aidan Hart you're talking about Conor Whelan they have abundance abundance of energy uh, in the team and to me I, I think they'll, they'll have a little bit too much for for Tipperary, even though Tipperary are relying on the likes of Patrick Maher uh, and Brendan Maher and, you know, uh, what the young lad there, um, I can't think of Jake. I can't think of his surname, sorry, at the moment. Though. So, they got, uh, Tipperary are depending a little bit too much on the younger lads coming through, but, you know, it's going to be a ding-dong battle. You know, you have Bubbles the Wire there as well and, John, you know, you, you, I tell you one thing, it's going to be a close encounter, there's no question about it, but, to me, I, I think Galway have too much power for him, and if it do come to a ding dong battle or, or, or heavy shots, I think Galway yeah, will just oust it by other, maybe three or four points. There um, with Clare, that that Clare game should be would be an interesting game to watch as well. Well, I think I think this this will be another cracker game. If it's a good try foot, a dry under underfoot conditions, it should be a very good game, and it's the reason for it. They're too young. Teams that are very hungry, very determined. They're fast. Both love attacking. Both love run, running with the ball. You know, it's it's a new style gone into hurling where both teams uh, take on the opposition, and you know, it's a little bit like Gaelic football now. Both uh, you know, both sets of backs are really up in the forwards most of the game. You know, so it's all about who can control certain players on the field of play. And if if Waterford gave the give Tony Kelly the space that Wexford gave him last weekend. Well, they may forget about it because he is in tremendous form. Scored 115-116 again Wexford last weekend. He completely ran the whole show. Uh, Wexford had no match for him, uh, which is unusual uh, from, from a Davies point of view that he didn't have enough or he didn't have a little bit of more a uh, bit, little bit more uh, awareness on the, on the sideline to try and stop Tony Kelly uh, creating havoc for Wexford. And, you know, we, we did suffer from the hands of them and, you know, if he's getting freedom next weekend again, Waterford, well, I think Waterford in the same boat. And this guy is is a great a great athlete. And, of course, there's great other hurlers around him, but this guy at the moment seems to be pulling them all together. So it will be a ding-dong battle as well. 
Uh, but to me, I, I think Clare might okay, just see it up by three or four points as well in the end. For Munster champions as well, uh, you know, two two great teams. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose it's hard to kind of disagree, even though with the teams that are still in it, it's hard to disagree with, uh, you know, Limerick being the favourites for the All Ireland. But as I said earlier on, a lot of, a lot of hurling ha- still has to be played yet. But I suppose really. Going, going on to um, we say Wexford, you know, I know that they're out, they're out of it now, kind of un- unlucky enough, I suppose. But the one positive they'll take out now, they'll take out of it now is that, uh, you know, David Fitz is supposed to be staying on as manager, so there'll be a bit of continuity going into next year. Yeah, well, to be honest, though, personally, David, he was his third year last year. He was into his fourth year this year. Uh, looking back at the awfully, uh, sorry, looking back at the Galway match, and looking back at the Clare match, uh, to me they look like a team that's just running on empty. Uh, it, it looked like the team was lackluster. Yeah. It, it didn't seem to have much energy in them, and even from the point of view that Davy on the sideline didn't really see energy. He wasn't energized in the fashion that he was in the past. You know, I don't know what there was something missing for me. I, I love a guy to get excited and upbeat and and drive the team on and. Wexford thrive on passion and of course and the, and they love to be driven and of course unfortunately we didn't have the support uh, with us this year as well we we really thrive on that as well but you know uh, Wexford yes they have been going very well up to last year to me they had a great opportunity to get to the All-Ireland final I don't know how we slipped up against Tipperary uh, there's a little bit of argy-bargy going on between Davy Fitz and Gerlock Nan at the present moment uh, both of them are sort of slagging off one another saying that they, they're not really intelligent they don't have it they don't have what it takes to make switches and make changes. So there is a little bit of rift raft going on between both of them as well. And of course, you know, Davy can certainly answer all them critics. And uh, from a Wexford point of view, uh, are the Wexford people happy that Davy is staying on? I'm not quite sure this time around, Aidan, to be quite honest. Uh, Davy did say that he wanted a two week uh, break to think about what he was going to do and sit down and speak to people and whatever. And uh, breaking news on Monday morning that Davy had texted the players. And he came out himself to say that he was staying on. So uh, a little bit unusual because there was question marks flo- floating around Wexford uh, in the aftermath of, of that heavy defeat to Clare. And uh, a, a lot of people were, uh, some people were happy that he was staying on because he needed to redeem himself. Uh, but looking back at, at his four-year term so far, he hasn't really brought on too many players into the Wexford squad. The same bunch of players, 14, 15 lads have been togged out Week in, week out, uh, under Davies, under Davies' management, uh, haven't really introduced too many new, bl- uh, t- uh, new blood into the team. Uh, you'd often think you stick with what you have, and it'll always get you over the line. But looking back, uh, especially at this year, a lot of them players seem to Aiden seem to be running on empty, and they didn't seem to have the energy and the buzz they had in the past. So maybe, maybe now that Elvis, maybe now that Davy has. Said he give him one more year. Maybe he needs to recruit a couple of more new players, freshen the whole thing up, come up with new ideas, come up with plan a new different plan or a new strategy. But uh, to me, I think teams they were able to read exactly what he's up against, what he what, what plans he comes out with him on, and what uh, <coughs> what 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 game set minds that he's trying to play with other managers. Uh, they're not having it anymore. They were able to cope with it, and if it, if it's not working for us, in to be quite honest. Uh, we find it difficult to go back to get a uh, plan B and and that's why we got we got struck down badly by Galway and we got struck down badly by Clare the last day. 
we definitely have to up the ante next year and we'll have to come up with new ways and new systems. And to me, I think you have to introduce maybe another five or six youngsters into the squad as soon as possible and get them playing hurling with the, with the remainder of the guys to get used to the pace and get used to the, suppose, the atmosphere yeah, that, go, it, that goes it, with uh, senior hurling. I suppose introduce a bit extra competition into it. But I suppose really, you know, Davey, Davey can come up with the plans and bring in, play, bring in extra players and this, that and the other. But having seen the way Wexford played, it might be hard for, to get the, for him to get the players to buy into that. I know they're very fond of him and all that, but I suppose as a player, if players aren't winning things, if the team aren't winning, and they're like you know they played like what they played against against Clare. It, it might be it might be kind of hard. Maybe a new voice in the dressing room might might be kind of needed. But it might be very hard to kind of sell it to the players if they're you know are will they be convinced next season that Davy is the man? You you know you don't know. But uh, you know you know to be fair, maybe it was just a yeah. thing that was on the day. Like he yeah. just he just he just didn't have that bit between his teeth like he normally has. But uh, Yeah, and I know, I know you're dead right. I know it was the clear factor that he's from Clare, and people said it doesn't bother to Davey. He, whether he win or lose, he's still on a winner <clears throat> because he's from Clare. But he, you know, to me, I, I wouldn't accept that. Uh, what I wouldn't accept either is is, uh, is that some of the players themselves, some are, are very happy with him, and some players are not. And I don't mean not happy with him in, in a in a bad way, but they're not happy with his plan. They're not happy with the system. Uh, he doesn't seem to make too many cha- right changes at the right time, and he's sticking to the old guard. Now, the old guard were disappointed last weekend when the game was over. Davey said he'll have a think about it, leave it with me, and some players said, "Yes, Davey, we like you to continue. We'd like to finish on a good note, not on a bad note." But it's only when they go back to the grinding stone in in, in the next couple of weeks or whatever when they start training again, planning for next year, and then you'll see. The wear and tear and the drag and the push on these humans again. <clears throat> Where will it all end up? You know, uh, if the National League kicks in, you know, and if they get a bad run on the National League, will it all get really sour and will the thing end up, up terrible? You know, so we don't want to see that down there because Davy is certainly brought on hurling in, in a big way down here in Wexford and, and people really appreciate him for it. And, you know, it's it's just some something in my head is telling me that it, it wasn't right this year. Uh, um, they played a couple of challenge match in I must say as well before uh, the, t- the championship kicked off and they weren't going well to be quite honest they, they were struggling in some of the big to get big performances again again Cork and again Limerick they did play Westmead uh, which they beat them uh, and we all expected that even at that game there was one or two lads at it and they said it wasn't a great performance overall by Wexford so we weren't in a great place going into the Galway match maybe we're just hoping that things will come good in the end, and uh, that's what that's what that's what the that's what the the public and that's what the supporters were hoping. But because it didn't, it ended up very very lethargic, um, and you know it just didn't end up well. That's that's the only thing that's annoying me. And yes, the players want them back, but there's a lot of a lot of people think though that his time has run out and the, uh, the need change. And I know players that were involved with him. As I said, for the last four or five years, wouldn't like to see Davy go. And who do you bring in if Davy do step down? So uh, at the moment, Davy is still the manager. Uh, he's still in charge. And, you know, I did hear a whisper today to say, who knows, Larry, Davy still might be there next year. 
Well, he said he, he has announced well, that's, that's it. it. But, but you know, he said that could from change. From a management point of view, um, you know, I suppose if he is to leave, it's better to leave now than leave later on, next, you know, next season closer to the league or the championship because the new guy that's coming in, if that happens, look, he's a lovely, uh, you know, you have to, everyone admires uh, David because of the, the sort of guy he is and the passion he has. Uh, you know, so he would deserve better than that. And I'm sure the county board will want their say. But I suppose if there is someone to come in, maybe it would be fair on that manager that to give the, the new manager, if there is going to be a new manager, time to kind of, I, I suppose, sell his plan, their plans to the, to the team. Yeah. Yeah, you're dead right in, but you know, uh, the way people... Hello, everyone. And this podcast is brought to you by... Ross FM Sports Aiden Rafferty Enjoy this presentation Hello Michael, how are you doing? And welcome to this week's uh, Formula 1 Plus with myself with myself, and uh, I'd like to welcome also the listeners to this podcast and of course no doubt we have some some more excellent news from the world of Formula 1 yeah, we do indeed, and as always, there's always a race, there's always something something happening. And of course, last weekend we had the Turkish Grand Prix. I hope you were watching, because it was a great drive for Mercedes in the Turkish Grand Prix, which gave them the 10th victory of the season, would you believe? Uh, and most, more critically, some claimed the 7th Drivers' Championship title for Lewis Hamilton, equaling, equaling Michael Schumacher's record. As uh, uh, Racing Point Sergio, Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel completed the podium, podium after a thrilling race in Istanbul. Um, Hamilton actually started 6th in that race, uh, and he rose to 3rd midway through the first lap and then dropped back a bit after an error at turn nine. But it was to be his race, as they say, um, to to win the championship. Behind Hamilton, uh, the last lap actually was very dramatic. It's uh, Sergio Perez overtaken by Charles Leclerc for P2, believe it or not. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, Charles overcooked it at turn 12. And Perez took second place and Vettel went through past his teammate as well. So Charles de Klerk should have been third. But look, there you go. As they say, that's all you can say. So it ended up as Lewis Hamilton first, uh, Sergio Perez second, Sebastian Vettel third, uh, Charles de Klerk fourth and Carlos Sainz fifth. What's actually very good about the race I noticed was Ferrari seemed to be on the comeback. Now it could be the wet conditions. It highlighted both Ferrari's drivers being uh, amazingly good at what they do. Uh, and you could say that it's shown that it's not the drivers, it's actually the car is the issue. But um, oh, there you go. It was a good Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, as for news for the week, I don't know if anyone's interested in um, the F1 Esports Pro Series, but Event 3 has kicked off from that. Um, with Red Bull Racing Esports team, they were leading the session there halfway halfway point. But there's still two rounds to go and everything to play for, and we'll see how everybody goes. So if you're interested in that, the Esports Pro Series, um, don't forget to tune in. It's normally around about the Channel 4 mark. If you are looking for it or if you have Sky, well, you're going to find it in there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> um, that's it, and that's I suppose really look looking towards this uh, the next uh, Grand Prix. Where are we heading to? No, oh, our next Grand Prix. Our next Grand Prix is actually in Bahrain. Believe it or not, a, a, a circuit that has been around since two thousand four. Um, a pretty good circuit. Fifty seven laps, five point four kilometers. 
uh, race distance of 308 kilometers and a lap record of 131.447 by Pedro de la Rosa in 2005. There's a name you haven't heard for quite some time, as they say. Um, but there you go. It's uh, it's a great little track. I, I particularly, I would be fond of this track. And I, I normally don't like the non-European tracks. But the Bahrain track itself is is absolutely fantastic. There's there's three DRS zones on it um, between turn 15 and 1, uh, 3 and 4, and 10 and 11. Um, 15 to 1, I'd say, will be hotly fought as there is a bit of a, there is a bit of a 120 degree turn at the end of that. Um, so I think you're going to want to set up yourself very well through turns 14 and turns 15, uh, in my opinion. Um, and I would say that you're probably not going to see anything other than the status quo at the minute. Although I am hoping that it's not only the Ferrari drivers, I'm kind of hoping the Ferrari cars will come up in the world uh, a bit as well. We'll have to wait and see, as we say, um, to see what's going on there, you know. So uh, it, it'll, be nice. it. it'll be nice to see a bit of a jewel in the desert, as they say, this weekend. That's it. And of course... Uh... You touched on it there about, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton winning again. He's breaking all sorts of uh, Formula One records, isn't he, at the moment, and uh, equaling and breaking them and all, all sorts of things. So I suppose he's up there. He's up there with the in the Schumacher, in the Schumacher class now at the moment. He is indeed. Um, actually, reading during the week, um, not nothing to do with Lewis in this case, but there was a there's a few prominent people were asked on uh, one of the websites about uh, this year's Formula One, and and if you recall closely, uh, Michael said, "Who I don't know who he is, uh, that he didn't think the Formula One should race this year, and that it was a very kind of a." No one could develop the car. No one could develop anything, really, because it was so short. And it looks like a lot of people, including Martin Brundle, are agreeing with that. Um, you know, you, you heard it here first on Ross FM, as they say. There you go. That That's it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a credit to organizers, uh, to organizers of all sports, really, at all levels that, well, more specifically, I suppose, professional levels in soccer rugby and you know various other sports even athletics as well that uh, you know sports are now go ahead like you know even even international matches uh you know we've seen a lot of cases in the irish team as well as that you know as well that you know there's still sport on on television and no more so than formula one because you know like to stage these things uh you know something as something like formula 1 which is an expensive <laughs> an expensive sport in itself uh, requiring a lot a lot of money it's kind of you know the the, the it's behind the the behind the scenes stuff and the the restrictions and all the health and safety the additional i should say health and safety uh, measures that have to be taken due to covid yeah it is um, it's absolutely amazing when you think about it so many people in each team working close together and i mean teams are they are quite large. There's a quite a lot of people working in an F1 team these days. And of course, you've then got to get a car, disassemble it, put it back to put it in the back of a truck, put it together, fly to another country. Okay, there's a bit less travel this year, but still at the same time, you've got to package all that up, fly to another country, take it all apart, put it back in another place. An awful lot of travel involved, an awful lot of contact involved, and yet 
it's faring out pretty good uh, so far. There hasn't been really any outbreaks, which everybody feared for one of the racing teams this year. So it's good to see, as to say, and it's good to see sports in general because I think with people locked down, you know, people need something, don't they? And with the, with the weather being so bad, isn't it great to be able to watch your own team or your favourite football team or whoever on the television? It's It, it, it gives you something, it gives you a bit of normality, I would have said. What do you think yourself, Aidan? That's it because I mean you know look if you're a if you're a fan of, of sport and we say someone like myself like you know that's actually involved in teams or you know if you're a fan that you that's usually goes to matches on a Saturday and Sunday or whatever and suddenly that's that's kind of we've seen it in the league we see it in the League of Ireland now mm. you know the all games are held behind closed doors and. You know, there's usually a great atmosphere at the at them games, yeah. and now, all of a sudden, that's actually taken away from the fans. Yeah, the fact that they can't go, and that the the players miss that as well. So it's kind of a lot of aspects of sport now. And I, I know I'm saying that you know, um, people's health and health and safety, you know, is paramount. But you know, there's just something about watching sport if you're into it. Um, you know, it just put it just gives you a boost, like when you're watching your team playing and they're winning. That kind of everything else seems insignificant because for that for that moment or whatever, the fact that your team won or your favorite athlete won, it, it gives you a boost. It gives you a boost or a morale boost. You know what I mean? Yeah. So from that point of view, it is important. But I, I suppose really, you, you know, the health and safety of of everyone is more is important. But also, you know, when organisations are are you know, in this case, Formula One are, are organising uh, Grand Prix. They have to, you know, they have to take into consideration again the health and safety of the mechanics, the the executive, you know, the the committees and the managers, and you know, as well as the drivers. There's there's a lot of a lot of things that that, that goes on behind the scenes, like you just said, to ensure that everyone is kept safe. Yeah, and like the the money that has to be done because. What what uh, people need to realise is, like, there's no um, there's no money coming in, yes, for these teams, yeah. you know, you know, so they they're having to do all this on a shoestring budget, so <laughs> that makes it even more tougher. And then all the the expense of doing all the testing, uh, you know, with the, the Ireland team and all the international teams when the players are away, mm. you know, when the club players have entrusted their players to their their country team, their their countries. You know that they're hoping that you know that they uh, you know the likes of the FAI they're being tested first and foremost when they arrive into Ireland for the camp. You know, yeah, and uh, also between between matches, like so before a game and after a game. Yeah, you know, there's a lot into it, and it's taking a lot. It's making sport difficult, but you know it is. It's a. It's great to see. Because it, sport does does give a lift to everyone. Yeah, it does indeed. It does give a lift. Um, I, I mean, it's like everything, you know. The summer we were lucky with lockdown. I mean, the, the weather was absolutely beautiful and people were out walking down the road. But it has been... Uh, uh, down here, anyhow, in the in, in the rainy southeast, it has been good. Today was about the best day we've had in about two weeks, I'd say. And it's, 
you know, and as wet and as miserable and you're at home and you're working from home or whatever, it's kind of, it's hard to almost see anything to look forward to. And it's, you know, if your local team are playing or, or even if you're a, a Manchester United fan like yourself, and they're playing that weekend. You know? uh, uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> and they're playing that weekend. Sure, look, you have something to look forward to. People do need something, don't they? They need something to something to bring back a bit of normality at the moment. Well, that that's it. And, uh, you know, it's great to see that the, the Formula One is still going ahead. And I suppose really look, looking back at the, that, that Formula One, the, this weekend's Formula One, uh, you know, as you said, it's a, it's an interesting track and, and things like that. So, you reckon like it'll suit the status quo? There won't be anyone coming in from that top five. Uh, you know, into that top five. Um, or there'll be no one dropping out of that top five. Or shouldn't be unless uh, this unless someone makes a bug up. I I I really can't see it. The only thing I will say is that um, if Ferrari have that engine right. Um, it is a high-speed track. There are some very good straights on that. If they had their engine, uh, which I personally don't think they're paying much attention to at the moment, but um, if they had it right, they could do a fair bit of damage here, but uh, I just can't see it happening. I can't um, I can't see... They haven't really been doing a major push this year at all. They've been kind of... I know they're testing the new car, um, and they're testing it, believe it or not, in a, a track they have in Maranello, which is underground. Um, as as well as their overground track, um, but they're not really. I mean, the the amount of extras they brought to the car, not really. It's more next year's spec, and yeah, it's improving things, of course, because year on year, you know, they put restrictions on the engines. You can't do this, you can't do that. And yet the cars are able to be just as fast as they were the year before, um, which is very impressive when you think about it. Um, but you know, at the same time, I, I just I do feel this year like no one's really pushing no one's really doing but the drivers are going hellbent for leather there's there, there's no doubt that way but you know if you're if your car's not exactly right for the first race and it's still not exactly right near the end of this season uh, i'm sure it can get a bit frustrating you know at, at least at least in the turkish grand prix we had the rain and the rain is a great thing. It's a great leveler. It really pulls drivers out of absolutely nowhere. And again, I, I think that's probably why Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel did so well. Um, I mean, Charles nearly getting second only for a slight bug up on a turn. But um, I think that's why they did so well. They're, they're exceptional drivers. They really are. But again, you know, to be honest, there's 22 guys out there. Any of them can win if they're in the best car. You know, to say this guy isn't very good. They're the 22 best drivers, really in the world because everyone knows F1 is the place to go to especially if you want to make money <laughs> that's it they're at the they're at the top for a reason because they're the best at what they do you know they're the top yeah I mean X amount of what they do even even, even the, the, the guy who comes last all the time you know you meet that guy and you give it a try yourself I guarantee you he'd be around the track before you get the first corner they're just all chain lightning really uh, you know so it'll be great to see but it's going to be good to be honest with you uh, next year is what I'm really looking forward to I, I, I know we have the um, the announcement that Australia I believe are getting the COVID inoculation in March um, which is good um, hopefully the rest of us will get it now fairly shortly too because it would be nice to have a, 
a more serious uh, normality of a year next year. We'll have to wait and see, you know. But the, but there is a lot of things happening in Formula One for next year, including, of course, the return of uh, one of my favourite drivers, uh, Fernando Alonso, who was just, you know, I, I don't think he's the fastest driver on the track, but I think he has a level of adaptability to tracks and adaptability to changes in the cars that it's exceptionally rare and it makes him a fantastic, fantastic driver. He is just, again, he has that Schumacher doggedness, I suppose. But it will be nice to see, hopefully, fingers fingers crossed and all that, it'll be nice to have things back to a bit more of a normality next year. I, I, I'm sure you'd like to see it yourself with quite a lot of the the things you're at yourself, you know, the between the football and the hurling okay. and, you know what I mean? It'd be nice to get it back again, wouldn't it? That's it. And I mean, I suppose really looking at all the drivers as well in Formula One, you know, who would you say will be the best driver kind of from a tactical sense? Tactical sense. He's starting next year. That's going to be Fernando Alonso. He's the most tactical man I've ever. He's very good at it. Very good. Um, he's a man that's able yeah. to win. He's got that Schumacher quality in that if he's got the second best car, he's going to win. Uh, you know, he's just got that quality about him. And I, I could see a lot of changes next year. Um, I think if Hamilton doesn't sign up to Mercedes, his career is over because I can't see anybody else putting that sort of push and money and time behind him compared to Mercedes. And I would expect to see the likes of... Um, we say Charles Leclerc and uh, Max Verstappen starting to stand on people a bit more next year. I mean, Charles Leclerc, in fairness, he's, he's not having an awful lot of racing. And then with the lockdown and all that, you know, if you're a new driver, you're not really getting the proper crack of the whip that kind of everybody else did when they were starting in Formula One, you know, which is a it's a bit of a disappointment. But there, there's a few new books on the way up. Hopefully we'll have uh, Mick Schumacher in a Haas too. Uh, good for two reasons. He's a great driver, and it would be nice to see the Haas team actually pulling themselves forwards. And you know, you get a good racer in there, somebody who knows what they're doing. I, I mean, I, I have an image myself in my head one time of um, Ferrari having an issue with the car um, back in the Michael Schumacher era, and uh, they did bad qualifying, they didn't get past Q2. And um, two hours later, they were shown video of the chief engineer and Michael Schumacher, both with their arms in the engine trying to fix it. You don't get too many drivers like that. So I, I kind of hope Mick is um, is keeping an eye on that. And speaking of the Schumachers, uh, there was a bit of an article up there uh, this week. It was great to see. Um, and Jean Toast was talking about Mick Schumacher, who... Um, Jean Toth used to be, as we know, very close to Michael Schumacher. And uh, he's announced that Michael is actually following his son's progress at home on television and, and watching very, very closely. So that, that's a, a good report on Michael Schumacher's health, I would have said. Health, I would have said. That's it. And I suppose moving on to uh, Car of the Week. Well, I have a few brief ones this week um, because I was uh, out looking and poking and prodding and but of course we can't get in. We just look through the shop windows now, you know, and make them all foggy as we're looking in. <laughs> and uh, well, that has, well, that's itself. <laughs> yeah, we get back. I got banned from a couple of places, but we won't go there. Um, and I was just looking at the electric cars, and I thought, you know, you know, what would be your top three um, electric cars at the moment? And I was just looking into them. Um, one of them would be, I'd say, if you're looking for a very competitive small electric car now unfortunately electric cars tend to be small and i mean small 
Um, but I suppose it'll be primarily used in the city would be the, the new, say, at Me Electric. Well, it's not a new car. It's an old car. It's, it's, it's been around a few years. Um, and they've just decided to do an electric version of it. And it's, it's, it, they say it's got a low price. Uh, 27000 I wouldn't call that a low price. And uh, it does 111 miles, they're saying, on a, on a full charge. Well, I suppose as electric cars go, maybe it might be low. It might be a low price, but then again, it depends on the size of the car and the size of the the, the size of the engine or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. I suppose are taken into consideration. I suppose like how many miles to the charge it does and all those. Yeah, well, about one hundred and eleven miles. What's that? About one hundred and seventy kilometers somewhere around there. I think it's 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 you you won't be going long distance on it. Let's face it, but. I mean, if you want something that you could, um, you know, head around, you could go to Athlone and back to Roscommon in and places like that or down to Moat Park for a walk. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Uh, the thing I would say, though, is uh, it is a comfortable car and it's great in the town, but it's only really got four seats. Uh, if you were looking for something bigger with five, yeah, you might have an issue with that. And and it's it's got a very, very old-fashioned, boring interior. I, I actually don't think they've changed the interior from the old me to the new me but if you want something a prettier looking looking uh my second choice would be uh renault zoe now i'm not the most avid fan of renault because i i i had one before and i i i call it the migraine too uh because it wasn't very reliable um but you know it's it also gives you migraines, obviously. <laughs> obviously. But it's uh, the Zoe is a bit more conventional, <laughs> I think, than just uh, normal cars. It's a pretty looking small car. Um, some people call it nippy. That's kind of an excuse for a small car being a little bit quick on its feet. I call it quick. Um, but the electric motor on it, I, I, I believe, uh, when I was driving it before, um, when it came out, it's enough to shove it now at a good old pace. Now I have to admit, uh, charged away from a bit of traffic lights or anything like that, you know. Now it does start again at twenty six thousand nine nine zero. Um, I suppose that's not bad for an electric car, but again, it is it is very small. And I mean, to put that into perspective, you know, twenty six nine nine zero. You know, I was looking at a, a Ford Focus SD line estate in petrol uh, earlier on this year for twenty six and a half thousand, which is. Uh, God, you'd fit two zoles in the size of it. It's so big, you know. So, but I mean, again, it's it. You could nearly you live could nearly it. live in it, yeah. And again, its range is only about two hundred for the zoles. Is about you know about one hundred and forty kilometers to two hundred or one hundred and forty miles, about two ten maybe kilometers. It, it's it's not it's not huge. It does have a longer range than a lot of the similar price cars. And I have to admit, the interior of it is lovely. They've done a really good job. They've, they've, they've really made it feel modern and like something you want, you know. But I, I'd say now, if you're tall, I wouldn't sit in the back of it. Um, I, I would say you might have a little bit of uh, uh, trouble in the back of it, shall we say. <laughs> That's it. And I suppose, really, if you, if you were looking from the point of view of, uh, you know, a company car... I suppose which would be the the best value for money. Well, now, in electric, I think you're snookered. They don't really make big electric cars, um, and that is a bit of a snag. I'd say if you're looking for something that's going to do you well, I would buy the Ford Mondeo Hybrid. Yeah, it's 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 thirty eight thousand, but it's it's an estate. It's got tons of extras. It's not entry level by a long shot, and um, it's a fantastic car. And I think they're quoted to doing. 
about sixteen hundred kilometers on a full on fifty quid's worth of petrol. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. Even allowing the fact that the car industry tends to stretch the truth a little bit, if you got thirteen or fourteen hundred yeah. on it, I mean, phew, that's phenomenal on fifty quid's worth of petrol. That's that's incredible. But it is again pricey. Uh, thirty eight thousand is a bit of a stretch. I suppose if you're if you're a chief executive, perhaps maybe something like the uh, the Jaguar I Pace might be a nice idea. Uh, it's not a massive car. It, it is bigger than the other two, of course. But it's uh, it's Jaguar's first electric car. It sounds a wee while at this stage. And I know it does about 350 on a full charge, which is quite good. Um, and it can be charged to 80%, I think, in under under an hour and a half. When you consider it's a bag, right, it, it, it seems you get more mileage uh, you know, to the charge from a Jag than you do from a normal oh, car. Oh, you most certainly you know, do, from yes. You most certainly do, yes. But I mean, there is, there is, it's like the Teslas. They have the best longevity on the market. They they really go the furthest distance on a charge. But, you know, again, like the Jaguar I-Pace, yeah, well, as like the Jaguar I pace is, is, is you're not going to get much change for a cup of coffee at a 90,000, and you won't much more out of a Tesla either. Very expensive. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the great range, uh, Teslas and that Jaguar I pace, fantastic range of them, uh, beautiful looking machines. I mean, real head turners. You, you'll drive down the road, and people will look, they're that type of car, but they're very expensive, and you know what I mean. There's a lot of the gas thing about electric cars, and the something I found very funny about them is they suffer from a lot of road noise. Someone told me this, and I was in the car because, of course, the engine is quiet. You think the road noise is very noisy. Perhaps it's not as bad as people think, but, you know, after driving one, I had one for about four hours one day. And um, after driving it after a while, the first thing I said when he said, what do you think? Is I said, it's a bit noisy on the road. <laughs> So maybe they are, maybe yeah. they're, they're wider. Well, in the BMW's case, it's it's the, the tires are nearly bicycle tire width um, just to try and get that distance on them. And I suppose the other thing I don't like, I, I, I'm not fond of an electric car. It's very plasticky because, you know, we're supposed to be getting rid of plastic and electric cars have to be light in order to go a distance. So they tend to be very plasticky. Now, not in the case of the Jaguar I-Pace or a, a Tesla. Oh, no, them things are built like rocks. But... Um, you're paying for it. You're paying for it. Well, this is the thing, you know. But hopefully, you'd like to think with the electric with the electric car because even though they're they're expensive at the moment, the longer they're out, you know, as time goes on, they they should get cheaper because I, I suppose the thing about electric cars is it's very hard to get one secondhand if you can't afford a brand new one. Well, so I suppose eventually. Think the car, the price. Yeah, you see, there's, there's there's two issues really. I I've a mate who has um, uh, a Nissan Leaf, and um, it's only three years old. He was getting about nearly four hundred kilometers on a full charge, and he hasn't abused it. Um, and he's now getting one hundred and twenty kilometers on a full charge, and that's in the space of three years. Oh, yeah, wow. that's a massive drop. He was complaining at me yesterday about it. Um, and of course the resale value. No, he's going to have to drive it till the wheels fall off because three of the garages in town, three out of four garages he went to refused to take it. And I think the third, fourth one offered him somewhere, he wouldn't say exactly, but he said it was under 10 grand. For a car that cost 35, that's <laughs> that's a bit of a slap in the face. That's a huge But the only other thing I think is that the, the governments are shooting cars in the foot because like the UK now have announced that they want no petrol or diesel cars on sale in the UK 
after 2030. You know, that's absolutely fine. But if you're a car manufacturer now and you have a tiny little... You're running, you're getting seven. Yeah, but if you're, if you're a car manufacturer and you're sitting there with a car that's really small but costing 27,000 compared to maybe the petrol version, which would be 17,000. Are, are you really going to be too worried about reducing costs when you know the government of that country are actually going to force people to buy them? You know, and, and that's kind of, that's not helping. I don't think it's helping at all, you know. I, I think if the government uh, want to get you into an electric car, they've got to make them price comparable with petrol and diesel cars. That's the way to do it, because... Either that, either that, or either that, or unless the government do this scheme whereby, if you want to buy a grant, buy a, an electric car, to give you a, cer- a certain amount well, towards us, you know. Yeah, the thing is now we're just on on that particular one. The Renault Zoe at that price I quoted is after government grant and after a couple of kickbacks from Renault. So I wouldn't like to be buying it without that. You know, I'd say you'd be stay away. Yeah, well, they're all like that, unfortunately. They are all ridiculously expensive. I mean, even the Hyundai Kona, I was quoted 28,000 for, and I'm kind of looking at the guy with that sort of look, kind of, are you joking me? <laughs> and as I yeah, said to him, I couldn't take weeks shopping in the back of that. <laughs> you know, never mind anything else. Yeah, really. yes. You know, so. You wouldn't want to be going. You wouldn't want to be going away for a week. A week. Or no, something. no, that's very true. You wouldn't want to be going away where you couldn't come back and and, and get your clean underwear the next day. So this is it. <laughs> that's all good fun, isn't it? You, you'd have to buy. You'd have to buy. You'd have to buy them yeah, when you I get there. I think you would somehow. Yes, you might have an accident with your luggage on the way there and claim it on insurance. <laughs> Well, that's true too. And claim it against expenses. Absolutely, I am telling you. I am telling you. <laughs> All right. Listen. Thanks very much for doing a Formula One view this week, and we look forward to talking. To no you hassle, Aidan. I'll talk to you then, mate. Take care. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Michael O'Grady, our Formula One and ninety-four point six. This is Ross FM. Hello, Helen. How are you doing? Welcome to this week's. Uh, nutrition podcast and uh, i'd like to also welcome all the listeners to the, to the podcast and i hope you get a lot out of uh, what we're discussing this week so yeah we, we kick off with um yeah we're this week we're discussing metabolic syndrome and obesity so uh we kick off with those two things helen okay hi aiden how are you doing um not, thanks for having me back too. on and yeah, this is um, really interesting now, metabolic syndrome and obesity, what does that mean? Okay, so in terms of metabolic syndrome, if you consider that, um, just bear with me one second, um, how to describe metabolic syndrome, it's essentially, you know, um, it's people who are overweight, have high blood pressure, um, their cholesterol profile isn't great, and you throw type 2 diabetes into the mix as well. And all of those um, issues together is what is described as metabolic syndrome. Okay. And if you also consider that um, metabolic syndrome goes hand in hand with obesity, and um, four out of 10 Irish people are overweight, and 23% of that amount are obese. So there is a huge problem in Ireland with pre-diabetes, um, obesity, and um, metabolic health, okay? And the other issues that um, 
you'd need to be concerned about at the moment is that metabolic syndrome goes hand in hand with susceptibility to complications from COVID. If you consider about 80% of people hospitalized with COVID so far have metabolic syndrome, and that is really worrying. Um, so you could surmise that if you are in bad health, then you are so much more susceptible to succumbing to COVID. Yeah. And uh, there's a really interesting study that I came across, and it's the first meta-analysis of its kind. It was published on the 26th of August in Obesity Reviews with an international team of researchers who pulled data from scores of peer-reviewed papers capturing about 400,000 patients. And they found that people with obesity who contracted SARS-CoV-2 were 113 times more likely than people of a healthy weight to land into the hospital. They were 74% more likely to be admitted to ICU and they had a 48% more like or greater percentage um, more likely to die of COVID. So that is a frightening statistic. And again, if you consider, as I said initially, four out of 10 Irish people are overweight, that lands you into that danger area where, you know, obviously it's going to impact on your health overall, but in terms of your immune system, it's very worrying. And I suppose psychologically as well, it can affect it can affect a person as well. And I suppose that's where, like, if there are people that are, you know, that are in that situation, like pre pre um pre diabetic and, and obese, mm -hmm. you know, that that's where uh, nutrition becomes key in kind of helping with that or help reduce the chances. Yeah, and a lot of people coming to me in the magic spoon are, you know, trying to lose a bit of weight. They could just be a couple of pounds or a stone or two overweight. But again, um, people who have a BMI of over 30 to 35 are in the obese range. And the way to, um, the simplest way to measure your BMI is you want your waist circumference to be half that of half your height. So whatever half your height is, you want your waist circumference measured from the belly button to be half that of your height. Okay, so it's a simple thing for everybody to do with a, with a measuring tape. And, you know, there's a big stigma involved in being overweight as well, or especially if somebody is obese. But again, a lot of, um, a lot of it is down to bad diet. There's a certain genetic predisposition as well. But people coming to me, once we just get them off the refined foods, the processed foods, the sugar, the weight just falls off. So it's not a life sentence. It's something that you can you can reverse. And the worrying thing is that um, I came across another statistic there recently that 40% um, of people over 45 in Ireland are pre-diabetic. And that means that the hot skip and a jump to developing type 2 diabetes. So, and again, it's all diet related, Aiden. That's it. And I suppose really look, looking at that as well, like, you know, people will be worried when, when they hear that. But I suppose the key thing to this is, as you just said there, it's reversible. So, but I suppose it's, you know, knowing that is one thing, but 
it's actually that step from knowing it or being told it to actually doing something about it. That's the thing. That yeah, can be psychological and it's it's all to do with the nutrition. So what would the the, t- the key tips that you'd give to people that uh, to help them get over that? Okay, well, it, it, it's really down to um, enlightening people about what food is. Food is fuel for our body, okay? So, and what is metabolic health? Okay, it's the state of balance the body maintains between storing fat and burning it for energy. So your metabolic health is your number one defense against all of these chronic diseases, heart disease, cancers, type 2 diabetes, and susceptibility to, obviously, what's on everybody's mind at the moment is COVID. So once the balance of your metabolic health is disrupted, your health is going to be adversely affected. So in a nutshell, you improve your diet, you improve your overall health, you improve your immune system, and diet is key. So basically, um, what when people come to me, especially women, they are completely obsessed with calorie counting. And I just tell them, stop counting the calories. You know, calories are not, they don't determine what is the nutritional content of your food. And people will go, right, well, especially girls, they go, right, well, you know, I can have that creamy pear or a banoffee pie for my lunch. And it has the same amount of calories as a healthy, you know, um, lunch option with your veg and your protein and your, your complex carbs. So they'll think, right, I'll have that instead of the healthy option. But, um, you know, it's still within my calorie range, if you know what I mean. So, again, yeah. a biscuit versus an apple, okay? Which is the healthier? The apple. It's like some people go, well, I'll have a glass of Coca-Cola. Um, but, you know, the same amount of calories from that as there would be in a bowl of berries. So what I do is I get people to keep a food diary for two to three weeks. And then I'll analyze that and I'll go through it. And I'll, I'll see exactly what they're putting into their bodies for breakfast, lunch and dinner. What they're eating between. Are they in the throes of a sugar addiction? What prompts them? to start you know grazing between meals on the wrong foods and what state of mind they're in like if somebody is overweight and there's you know a bit of depression going on there as well they're much more inclined to comfort eat and people don't understand how addictive sugar is and like the food companies know that and they lace everything with sugar and i just say eat like our grandparents used to eat. Like type two diabetes was unheard of in Ireland in the 30s, 40s, 50s. But the minute all these refined foods, processed foods started to hit our supermarkets and convenience foods as well that are full of sugar and salt, we we started to see the rise of type two diabetes. And you know what's happening in kids as young as eleven and twelve, which is really disturbing, Aiden. That's it, and I suppose really, you know, parents, parents kind of go, people go to do the shop and maybe bring the kids with them or whatever, and next thing the kids was it kind of it's kind of you know for those who have kids, it starts at kind of an early age when they're kids. Like what you what you eat as a child is what you 
what you what you continue eating like so if your eating plan is healthy when you're a child then the chances are that's what you'll you know like our two um like the when our first form was in the crash the girls there couldn't believe how she would eat her vegetables same with her little fella and i say to them look your taste buds if you don't stimulate them with all the different types of fruit and vegetables and grains and whole foods and different types of good sources of protein you don't stimulate it at a young age. You know, a child's taste buds, they're like a plant to be pruned off and it'll become more and more difficult getting nutritious food into that child. And, you know, have a day of the week that you can have a treat, okay? And don't yeah. use food as a reward. If you want to give a child a reward for, you know, tidying their room or doing their homework or, you know, just... Um, being healthier around the house it can be an experience like um, having a play date going to the playground um, getting some sort of uh, some new paints or drawing pencils or you know um, something that isn't food orientated because you don't want to plant into young brains that food treats or rewards because that will become embedded in their psyche and it's very hard to do as a parent. I battle against it myself all the time. And, you know, I'd say, right, you can have an apple, you can have a banana, you can have some toasted seeds, um, and yet we'll have treats on Friday, okay? So they look forward to their treats. And, you know, they're, they're, if, when they do get them on the Friday, they are like friggin', you know, jumping jack beans. They're so high on sugar. and. You see, that's the problem. We are not designed to eat sugar unless it's in something like a fruit. I've said that before, but it's not just the sugary foods that people are consuming. When people come to me, they say, well, you know what? I don't really have a sweet tooth, but you know, I love my crisps. I love my potatoes. I love my Brennan's white bread. And I have to explain to them that refined carbs convert to glucose in the body. Okay, so... Yeah. I have to re-educate them into it's not just the sugary foods. It's your crisps, your your salty crackers, your your white bread, white rice, white pasta, all the processed foods, pizza, chips, chicken nuggets. Cut them out or reduce them. And again, you know, um, especially for women, we tend to comfort eat. So I'll try yeah. to figure out exactly what time of day that's happening. And it's all about blood sugar control, slow release. As I said before, you want to get a slow release of energy from your food. And you'll do that by having your complex carbs, your good fats, your good protein. So it's all about a re-educational. It's like a, like a shift in consciousness when it comes to nutrition. And when people come to see me in the Magic Spoon, I give them shopping lists. I'll give them recipes that are easy to follow. It's fast, healthy food. You know, it's something everybody can do from, from multitasking mums to, to working women to, to busy people everywhere. We want fast, healthy food. And that's what I'm all about. That's it. And I mean, nowadays, now, there are so many things for men and women. I mean, you have this wave watchers and you have all these 
you know, you see all these diet programs and go on my website and we'll give you this and we'll do that. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that means that these people, oh, they're, that, that's why, you, you know, just referring back to what you said earlier on, they're counting the calories because they have to mm-hmm. have, make, make a note of how many calories they're eating and then they get this and they get that if they meet their targets and all that. But I suppose... Yeah. You know, I suppose that that has it has its pluses and its minuses. Those kind of things that with Weight Watchers, because essentially, yeah, you're they're doing A, B, and C, but that these, you know, you have to actually pay for these things. And I mean, you know, then there's gyms. You know, some people go to gyms and these, these but there's a lot of things you can do that that don't cost money. Because I suppose there's two sides to it. You know, there's eating healthy, but there's also you need to get the exercise as well. And as regards to sugar, it's, well, I suppose in your diet, it's about balance, really. Yeah. And again, you know, um, back to pre-diabetes and its rise in Ireland in the over 45s, you know, I've had people coming to me, they've been to the doctor, their blood sugar levels are through the roof. And just to put that into perspective, ideally, you want your fasting blood sugar levels below 5.6 millimoles per litre and ideally below three. So that's, if you're over the 5.6, that's what's considered to be pre-diabetic, you know? And they'll come in to me and they'll be in an awful state, don't know what to do. Um, and, you know, if you are pre-diabetic, it's a culmination of lifestyle eating that is consuming the processed foods, the sugary foods, the refined foods, and I have to basically completely rehaul their nutritional um, profile and reintroduce or introduce new foods to them and get them to eat in a different way. And, you know, it's all, again, about education. When people come to me, they learn about low GI foods. What are they? They're slow-release foods that give you energy constantly and I'll optimize their nutrition you know I'll restore their gut health um, and get them to minimize the carbs to cut out the processed foods and to avoid the sugar and as I said before sugar is quite addictive and in Eden we stock the whole farm and org range and a brilliant tool it's not a magic bullet but it's a brilliant tool is the chromium precise it's an organic chromium yeast and what chromium does, it's like a sugar patch for anybody with a sweet tooth. And it basically amplifies the effect of insulin and helps you cut the cravings for the sugar. So if somebody is finding it extremely difficult to follow a healthy eating plan, I will recommend they go on a course of chromium. And that normally just within a week or so, things start to taste too sweet, you know, and they become much more... Really- Mm-hmm. Look, looking at it, looking at it, if you were to compare something, if you were to compare it to something, it sounds mm-hmm. like it's kind of the equivalent to you know a smoker having a nicotine patch. It's kind of a replacement for it. It is, and you know what? Um, a lot of people are deficient in chromium, and um, especially um, especially ladies. And funnily enough, um, when when women are pregnant, the fetus will consume by eighty percent of the mum's store of chromium. And that's why we're seeing such an increase in um, gestational diabetes as well at the moment. And people are 
just compensating. They are eating the wrong foods. They're getting these pre-packaged dinners in Aldi and Lidl. And, you know, they're just eating pizza, getting takeaways. And they, they, they just don't understand how easy it is to make a good, healthy, nutritious meal. And so again, back down to education, Aiden, and back down to giving people the tools. I don't like people seeing me more than three times because at that stage, they will have all the information they need. And it's up to them then to go and use the tools they've been given. So, you know, and it, 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 a lot of people, once they start cooking themselves, they actually find it so therapeutic, so interesting. They feel so much better. You cut out the sugar, the weight falls off. You know, it's, it's, it gives me great joy when people come back to me and they've got their weight down. They feel so much more confident in themselves. Their mood improves. Their whole energy improves. And um, what you said about exercise as well, you know, there's so many things we can do. And as we age as well, it's really important to keep your flexibility up, to keep your resilience and your stamina. Because if you are suffering from aches and pains, people coming into you, their ability to get the same amount out of life as they used to has been compromised because they're not exercising enough or they're not exercising in the right way. Would that be right? That's it. And I mean, really, you know, the proper nutrition is also key for, you know, people that come to me, you know, sports, sports, you know, players and athletes and that, you know, they come to me with, uh, you know, their injuries and all that. And of course, Nutrition is, is uh, key to recovery, but also it's, it's key to performance during, at training sessions and during games or, you know, and for athletes and cyclists and that that are doing races, you know, it's key. It can be key for, for performances, you know, it can be key to performance and without, without all the fancy supplements and powder drinks that you have now. You know, it's, mm-hmm. if you eat the right things, it can help in a lot of areas, not just in one or two areas. Well, of course, it's back down to actually knowing what are the good fats, what are healthy um, sources of protein, sourcing your protein well, where are you buying it from, you know, um, can it be traceable? Um, and also, you know, getting the fruit and vegetables into it as well and your vegetables should make up about 40% of what's on your plate. And then the protein, 20%, the grains, the whole grains, 10%, you know, your good fats, and another 5%. It's again about looking at what people are putting into their bodies and retweaking that and just giving them the tools and the knowledge and the know-how. And it's all out there, Aiden. All the supermarkets are stocking, you know, good organic food, locally sourced food. And, you know, the other thing that um, I came across recently, which I thought was an absolutely fantastic way of exercising that anybody can do, whatever age they are, they can have it in their home. It's extremely beneficial. It exercises 645 muscles in the body. And, um, what it is is a rebounder. Have you come across them, Aiden? Yeah, to a certain yeah, I have. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting how it all works, isn't it? 
Yeah, and um, funnily enough, what they are, they're a mini trampoline that you have in your house. And basically, um, NASA first invented them as astronauts going up into space. We're losing body mass and muscle mass with being in anti-gravity. And so what they found was they trained them on a rebounder. It would actually improve or reduce that loss. And um, a rebounder is something that you can use whatever age you are. And also, you just use it for 10 minutes a day. You're exercising every single cell in your body. You're detoxifying your system as well as you're stimulating lymph drainage. And um, you're burning fat in a fun, healthy, enjoyable way. So um, that's one thing that uh, I have come across. And I've actually just ordered one for ourselves. And um, it's about finding you know, things that you're going to do from an exercise point of view that you're just going to stick it, you know, because if you are flexible and fit, your metabolism will reflect that and you combine it with nutritious, healthy food. And that is going to keep your metabolic health in an optimum condition, you know, so that that's, it's really about a holistic approach so um, yeah. and then once you're eating properly, um, your body will reflect that and your mood will reflect that as well. And, you know, you can optimize wisely. I mentioned Farminord Chromium, brilliant as a tool to get people to basically fight those sugar cravings. Because make no mistake, if you're... Um, eating a lot of carbs and sugary foods, it's very hard to kick that habit because the brain becomes used to that quick fix. And as I said before, your body only needs half a teaspoon of glucose circulating in it at any one time. And Irish people are consuming over 200 teaspoons of sugar a week, which is a shocking statistic because then it's no surprise that we're going to have a type 2 diabetes epidemic. And that goes hand in hand being overweight and obese. That's it. And I mean, it's the simple things done right or the, the little things done right that can make that can make a big difference. But um, like basically just coming slightly away from a dietary point of view to mm -hmm. more about diabetes. Now, I'm, I'm with the Roscommon <laughs> Civil Defence and we're, we're trained in a lot of different areas, but we're kind of specifically like you know we're training in first aid and how to diagnose different things as well but we mm -hmm. say you know we, we've come across cases uh mm -hmm. case studies and that during, during our training and it's kind of a thing where you know an ordinary person will come along and they'd see a person and a person might kind of collapse or whatever and they might mm -hmm. lose consciousness briefly or mm -hmm. something like that and then they come up to them and they say are you okay and next thing they get this real sweet smell off their breath mm -hmm. now a lot of it, some people unless you know your stuff or mm -hmm. unless you're kind of medically trained or you have some sort of medical knowledge mm -hmm. the first thing you might think is oh yeah the person is you know has consumed a lot of alcohol but mm -hmm. the thing is through our mm -hmm. training and it's great the way you know when you're med when you're learning about medical stuff mm -hmm. the things you, you, you learn is it's, it might not necessarily be that the mm -hmm. person could be diabetic and like the person could have lost energy levels so but what we were taught is the best thing is if someone collapses like that you know if you have some way of finding out is the person diabetic find out whether it's type 1 or type 2 but even mm -hmm. something simple like a Mars bar or an energy drink like Lucozade mm -hmm. can give them can boost their energy levels as well 
it, it's amazing that those little things that you might, you know, like something as obvious as like oh, a sweet sweet smell from the breath. You might say, oh, well, he's, he's mm-hmm. had a couple of pints. And it's not that, you know, you could, it, it goes to show you how you can misinterpret something from being, oh, a couple of pints instead of thinking, well, this guy, this guy or this woman might have diabetes. Yeah, well, you see, they would really need to be measuring their blood sugar levels carefully and keeping an eye on that um, a couple of times a day just to keep it under control. Um, so again, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting how little kind of um, signs like that you've become tuned into them. But, um, you know, again, what I said earlier was 20% of Irish adults over 45 are pre-diabetic. And that really means that they're overweight as well. So people coming to me, if they want to lose the weight, they're actually doing themselves the best favor ever because if you restore your health now through your diet, through weight loss and through exercise and lifestyle, you are basically um, ensuring, giving yourself an insurance policy against, you know, heart disease, cancers, and um, other chronic diseases further down the line. So people really need to think about what they are eating, when they are eating, and how they are eating, where they're doing their shopping, and and really actually understand what food does in the body. Because again, you know, I'm always looking at people shopping trolleys when I'm out and about, and I'm shocked to see the amount of processed food that's going into those trolleys and people just do not know what is good food and what is not. So um, that's why people come to the likes of me and the magic spoon and um, also to yourself, Aiden, as well. And like the type two diabetes that can be managed and reversed through good diet. So it doesn't have to be a life sentence. So we're great ones for a pill for every ill in Ireland. But again, you have to reclaim your um, your power, empower yourself to take charge of your health. You know, that is so important and it's really key. You know, and what I try to do in the Magic Spoon is give people the tools to empower themselves. That's it. Well, that's been uh, another very good uh, nutrition podcast. Thanks very much for... Uh... For doing that with us and we look forward to talking to you again next week so what what will we cover next week uh, helen um i have time to think about that i was thinking maybe in terms of um uh, nutrition for children and again we touched on it briefly there today about you start off on it on in the right path and it actually just gives you a map for health for life so maybe that could be something yeah. that um we could touch on next week, Aiden, and uh, yeah, we'll um, figure that out. I suppose really an, another good thing that we could kind of connect with that is, you know, get, trying to get trying to get kids involved in sport and <laughs> what they need to, you know, the, I suppose eat, eating the proper things that will give them the energy for uh, the the what what to eat and what not to eat for kids that are involved in sport or want to get involved in sport that would be another angle we could do as well that's a great idea i would love to do that so um let's um have a chat about that and uh we'll do a talk on that next week that'll be lovely no no problem thanks very much for uh for doing that and we look forward to chatting to you again next week thanks a million Aiden. bye everybody bye this is ross fm sport
Hello, Ollie, and you're re- welcome to this week's uh, Roscommon LGFA uh, podcast. And uh, I'd just like to say welcome to the listeners and thanks for tuning in. And hope you enjoyed this uh, this podcast. Yeah, so uh, a great victory over Offaly last weekend. And, of course, that means that you, have, you can now look forward to an Ireland semi-final. Yes, it's a great victory, Ed, and thanks very much. Uh, hard earned. Um Offaly were proved to be quite stubborn and a bit of a nervy start. We were we were we were quite poor in the first half, so it wasn't our best performance. But you know when you get to this stage of the season, it's all about the results. And the results was we had it was was got. And sometimes when you go into a game as heavy favourites, which we were, it can be hard to focus. And that, but thankfully the second half the girls pulled away and knuckled down and a great panel effort. It was five substitutions and yeah, the goal the goal has been reached now. The semi final was always the target and uh, it's there now and. Um, so look at we'll give it we'll give it our best shot. That's it. And now you faced into you face into the All Ireland semi final now. And uh, you know what what um, what qualities do you reckon will uh, you know will the opposition bring? Uh, do you know much about the opposition for the semi final? Ah, uh, we do need it's our neighbours Westmead. Um, very experienced team. Only came down from senior last year, so it's a formidable task. They have a very 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 strong centre line. Uh, five or six top class players, so we know the task in hand is is is, is very very tough. But I think our collective spirit and um, togetherness as uh, and this team has evolved, and certainly the addition of the new younger players has brought a new lease of life to it. We've spoken about it before, and uh, and sometimes you know when you have nothing to lose in these games, it, it'll be a reverse role. They'll be heavy favourites this time, um, but Roscommon will be quietly confident. Uh, that uh, we can we'll, we'll peak on the day and 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 uh, there's a big determination to get over the, this semi final hurdle. So there is a, a once and for all. That's it because you you just touched on it there, saying you know they have a, a lot of very experienced players, but uh, Roscommon have a lot of uh, seri- very uh, experienced players, uh, years of experience, <clears throat> and uh, I suppose no more so than. Uh, then Jenny Higgins, of course. Uh, congratulations to her on her 100th appearance for for her county. That's a huge honour for her, and uh, um, and and she stood out. She stood out on Sunday as well last weekend, and I'm sure she'll stand out again in the All Ireland semi final. But it's a it's a team effort to beat Westmead in the semi final. But uh, you know, it's a great achievement by by Jenny, isn't it? Ah, it's a marvelous achievement. I mean, it doesn't happen too often in modern sport and let alone women's sports. So uh, Jenny's a fantastic ambassador for, for ladies football and for Roscommon football and always has been and has wore her heart, wore her county uh, crest on her sleeve for, for years and years and years with pride and, and she still has a lot to offer and uh, she's the leader of the gang and she's brilliant with the young younger girls and she, she's just a terrific born leader and a terrific leader and yeah, Jenny will be a key player going forward uh, for the semi-final and, uh, but as you say, it is all about the, the team and, and, and Jenny is the first to, to, to admit to that and she, she she will do her best for the team. That's that's the way she plays. But yes, fantastic achievement on her a personal a personal milestone. You know, personal milestones don't get don't get reached too often in our game and uh, certainly it is it's a, it's one she'll she she'll remember for a long, long time and well deserved. That's it. And I suppose really, you know, lo- looking at the team as well, you know, the younger players the younger players in the panel and the new players that have come into the panel this season. You know, it, it's great for them to to be able to have someone like Jenny, and of course, a number of other players. Uh, you know, in the squad to look up to and help to help them in their uh, 
you know, starting off their inter-county career because it's a step up. It's a step up from club to county as well. And, uh, you know, the standard is a bit higher. But, uh, you know, when, when you have someone like uh, someone like Jenny and, and the other girls to uh, to get tips from, it's, it's a huge boost for the younger players and the new players. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you couldn't, uh, you know, you, you will... We said it before, you win nothing with uh, and one famous English manager said you'll win nothing with kids, but you won't either unless you're you're really exceptional kids. But uh so you need that nice blend. And yeah, Laura Fleming is there, Jermaine Craig, Helena Cummins, all very experienced now, been a number of years at the county and they have welcomed the young girls onto the panel and they have nurtured the, the youth. And the youth has given them a, a new new lease of life as well and that's important. But there's a nice blend of youth and experience there, which is which is great, and then younger girls, we can see it every match. They're growing in confidence, their, their ability, and everything. And uh, it, the most important thing is that the squad is strong and the panel is strong. You know, there's there's, there's someone that there's two or three there for every position now that can do a job, and everyone is dying to get on the pitch. But yeah, there's a fantastic uh, blend of youth and experience there, and them um, girls have been great leaders and will continue to be so. And I suppose, really, from from a management point of view. Uh... What are what are the thoughts and um, you know I suppose selection processes is uh, I know the pro the, it's uh, it's uh, still a few days away or so but uh, I suppose from a, a tactics point of view where, where was the winning and losing of uh, or the winning of last week's game I'd say that they're, they're winning of look at you can prepare and you can prepare and you can get into the mindset and try and get into the psyche but sometimes it's it's it, it, it's hard not to listen to things going on outside the camp sometimes and, and maybe there was a little bit of, of that once maybe the management themselves probably took a little bit of responsibility for that because the, the, the U4 had a, uh, followed the Wexford win which was a huge victory like really it was a year defining victory so it's hard you can prepare and you, they, they will be prepared well and they will prepare well for the next game but the mindset is totally different you're going in as underdogs this time but they, sorry what you were saying about the last game yeah I suppose tactically wise you know, they stuck to, the, the main thing is they stuck to the game plan. That's that's the 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 subs interchanged well, and that was always part of the plan. And uh, they never panicked. I suppose that's 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 that's, that's the real strength. They didn't panic when Northley threw everything at them in the first half, and just to have that composure, come back in, girls coming back from the forward line to pick up ball in the half back line, and to to keep the ball in hand and stick to stick stick to the plan and, and execute the plan, and, and and that worked out well in the second half. That's it, and of course, uh, you know it's very, very. They very seldom get a, a mention in interviews, but I, I suppose you know the backroom team that she that the that she have as well is uh, deserves great credit for preparing the girls, and you know, and if, you know, dealing with injury. Exactly, you know, it's 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 hugely important, Aidan. Like, I mean, around every management team, there's a there's a bigger team again, and you know that yourself. You've been involved. You know, you have your physios, you have your selectors, your people down to people who organise transport and look after the girls for travel for expenses, and all of them have a have have a part to play, and it's very important. And uh, and you have to have all the all that right to for to create the atmosphere, and atmosphere is good, and there's a great great. Great around good, good county board behind them. Everyone is uh, everyone is behind this uh, drive to 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 improve Roscommon ladies football, and uh, it's going in the right direction. And that's not down to as you said, that's that's down to a lot of people. It's not just down to to, to one or two individuals. That's it, and I suppose you know prepare pre- preparations and nutrition for uh, for matches is a huge thing. Now I, I do uh, sports podcasts on nutrition there with uh, 
with with Ellen McSherry and also sports nutrition with uh, Tom Co- Thomas Coleman. Um, he's involved with uh, Craig's GA and Craig's Rugby, and uh, you know they are like a lot of people mightn't think that, but like sports nutrition is uh, is a huge part of sport nowadays. Uh, so there's the sports nutrition side, but also even like preparation for a game. You know, like, you know, even getting a good night's sleep, getting plenty of rest. Obviously, you have to train as well. But these are all the things that can be the difference between winning and losing. And especially in a big game now, uh, you know, like an All-Ireland semi-final against uh, an experienced side like Westmead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's critical, uh, as you say. You know, it, it's a given now with every team now, with, uh, even a club, never mind county. Uh, preparation is key and nutrition, your diet, your exercise, your rest, all those sort of things. So all of that will be factored into the next nine or ten days and what days to train, not to overtrain, uh, diet, what you eat, how you rest, how much water you drink, liquid you drink, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a vital cog in, in everything. And it's, it's, it's the same as, as we said earlier there. It's the same, the strength and conditioning guy, strength and conditioning guy he'll have his part to play in warm-ups at training trying to prevent injury all that sort of thing because uh, at this stage now you don't want your preparation to be a, a, a reason why you're not ready you know so uh, that's vitally important all these they're all cogs in the wheel that make the wheel turn around you know that's it and of course um, you know you played the last two weekends in a row obviously and uh, you know it's it's kind of key for the players and for our for management and for your people like yourself as well to kind of, you know, that the girls get rest, get rested, you know, they have a weekend off or whatever, and they can, you know, they, they can organize things for the final, like, and go, go through the game plan again. And I suppose plan, you know, I know you have to concentrate on what you're doing, but also I suppose you have to have one eye on the opposition and, you know, identify their key players and yeah. plan around, do plan around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's key. Right, this this week now to be a recovery first uh, during the earlier part of the week, and then it'll step up a bit towards the weekend again. There'll probably be an in-house training match on Saturday, but uh, and then because the game is not until Sunday week, so yeah, and there'll be video sessions and all of that again. No more than the the nutrition and and the strength and condition is all part of the modern game. The management will study the opposition and try and look at key points where maybe they can be. At, um, targeted and, 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 and maybe we'll call them weak spots but and uh, we also have to be prepared that we look at our own video as well and take areas where we can improve and things like that and, and that's that's all vital and then the training will, will probably be stepped up over the weekend and then tailor down again towards the end of next week ready for the final fine tune and just then for some of the week That's it and uh, where, where's the venue fixed for? No, or where, where's the... In no time. All we know is that it's on Sunday at one o'clock uh, it, it it has to be uh, uh, sanctioned and agreed between the LGFA and TG Cahill because I think all the semi-finals and senior intermediate level are on TV, which is great exposure for the game. So there's a there, I know there's a senior game and an intermediate. The other intermediate semi-final is on Saturday, and the other second senior semi-final and ours is on Sunday. So I said times and venues are just not quite agreed yet. We probably know probably by Friday this week. That's it, and I suppose really. Uh... With regards to the Roscommon Intermediate uh, Ladies Footballers now, they're the, the only team now left, uh, county team, I suppose. The, the senior hurlers were unfortunately knocked out against Kildare in the hurling uh, semi-final there on Sunday. And of course, the, as we know, the the lads, uh, the senior the Roscommon men's senior footballers were, were defeated as well the week before against uh, a very good 
my old team. So it, it, it'll be a great, a great boost for the county for supporters and all that. Uh, to see to see the ladies in in the North Ireland semi final because it, it was a good while ago since uh, we've seen any kind of t- apart from yourselves uh, you know they they get into All Ireland semi finals uh, you know it's it's not easy to get to them no 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 matter what sports are involved or what level uh, you get under fourteen sixteen senior junior whatever it is All Irelands are are hard earned number one and, and then second they're, they're hard got to. <laughs> so winning them is so they are and we've experienced a couple of lows the last couple of years so but yeah they're flying the flag but I do firmly believe that, 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 that the game is getting stronger here and that breakthrough will come and hopefully it'll be this year and if not we'll keep we'll keep plugging on because the squad is young and very talented and there's huge strides being made and you know, and there's great appointments being made at, at 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 coaching levels and all this sort of thing. So, yeah, look at it. It would be great if it happens this time, and hopefully it will. Um, but uh, the most important thing is, as you say, is they're given enjoyment, like in this strange times, and people can tune in and watch the matches on on live links and television and that. So it's great. It's great. I mean, we all know the hype. The 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 feel-good factor that sport has given everybody in the country at the moment and God knows if we hadn't got it, God knows how how, how we'd get her through our weekends and we like to pay our part in that and for the people who's common, it's great, you know, to have still have a team involved in the championship so late in the year. That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much, Ollie, for uh, taking the time out to do uh, your Scotland LGFA with us and we'd like just like to say the best of luck to the girls and yourself and uh, the management team and the backroom staff and in, in what's going to be a, a huge game, and no no pressure on them, of course. Well, <laughs> at this level, there's always much <laughs> no, all pressure. pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's just kind of the main thing for the girls is that they don't you shield them from that pressure as much as possible. But exactly. I suppose there's no more pressure than than they kind of put themselves on themselves to perform. I suppose. Ah, yeah. Look at uh, thanks very much for your kind words, Ed, and we'll we'll. we'll... Yeah, look at uh, every 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 sports person tries to make themselves better, and there's a certain amount we'll we'll shield them from that public limelight until, but they know themselves, and there is a steely determination there to 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 keep improving, and 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 uh, look at you want to test yourself against the best, and with me they're probably the best in 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 our grade, so look at whether you meet them now or in the finals, it's the same thing. So hopefully it's a hurdle we can cross, and uh, we're certainly wanting, and we'll give it our best shot. No problem. Well, uh, send send uh, send our regards to the girls and uh, oh, well, of course, and of course, it's great. It's great to ha- have a bit of downtime. I know, as you were just saying there, there's an aver an university game or an in-house game at the weekend, so that'll be good preparation. But recovery recovery will be going all right anyway. So the best of luck anyway on Sunday week. Thanks very much, Ed. Thank you. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was uh, Ollie Colgan from Roscommon LGFA. This is Sport Pulse on Ross FM Sport. Hello, Porrick. How are you doing? Hi, I'm so sorry I'm late. I got held up at a Sport Island board meeting. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no problem at all. No problem at all. I'd like to welcome you to this podcast, uh, Porrick, and I'd also like to welcome the listeners. And just to fill in the listeners, uh, today on this uh, on this interview we have a very impressive uh, very impressive uh, young man Parik Moran. He's a Paralympian. He's a Paralympian with the Ireland Paralympics team, and um, he he has overcome a lot. Uh, in you know he has had a lot behind him and a, a lot of great achievements behind him. And uh, Parik, you're going to tell us more about uh, about that as we go along. But I suppose to start off with yourself and how it all started off. Uh, 
back in your school days and how you got into it. And uh, I think you've always you've always had a, an interest in sport, haven't you? Yeah, I suppose for me, sport has always been a big thing in my life. And I suppose from the very start, my family adopted the attitude that there was no such word as I can't uh, do things. So they very much pushed me out into the world. Um, I'm 36 now. I'm from Brian County Wicklow. And I was born back in 1984. And at the time when I was born, I was a little bit impatient and I arrived 56 days early, um, which left me weighing a grand total sum of 17 ounces, which was about a half pound bag of sugar. So I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy after I was born. So the way that affects me is my right side would be my good side. My left side is my bad side. So although my left side is there, it doesn't really work. So I, I, I totally... I'm right side dependent and I use a power chair to get around and crutches at uh, the odd time as well. So I suppose for me, um, my early school days, I was in, in an able Ireland school till I was uh, eight years old. And at the time, the teacher there, who's actually one of my best friends now, Siobhan de Prayer, um, kind of realised that my disability was just purely physical and, you know, I was really clever so they, she had a chat to my mum and dad and they made the decision that I would be able for mainstream uh, school. So I moved to St. Kevin's and Greystones in County Wicklow when I was eight. And that was a bit strange because I went from a school where there'd be loads of other people in wheelchairs or a walking aid or people that are visually impaired to me being the only one that was different and, and things like that. So that was kind of a bit strange uh, to 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 get used to that and when I went to that school the main sports were play were play were like hurling and football. So I had to adapt to that and I didn't want not to be able to play uh football or anything like that. So um it was really strange because I was always the first one to be picked because I could knock the ball out of the air with my crutches. So for me it didn't matter what it was, I was always gonna give it a go uh, and you know I did. And and primary school, to a degree, was really, really enjoyable up until about sixth, uh, sixth class. And um, secondary school probably wasn't as enjoyable uh, for me. Um, when I moved into secondary school, um, I require a laptop to enable me to work because with cerebral palsy, I'm unable to write for long periods of time. So this caused an issue with the other students because they needed additional equipment and things like that. Fair play to you. And uh, of course, I suppose a combination of, uh, you know, a great attitude by your by your mum, yourself and uh, your your best friend, the teacher in the previous school, I suppose, you know, that all stood to you uh, long term after that, because I suppose w- without the, the encouragement and the ter- determination from the three of you, your parents, your yourself, of course, and uh, your uh, teacher in um, in the previous school, I suppose that that's what uh, you know that's what helped you in, in uh, later years as you got older, and I suppose it was it was it stood to you when it came to playing sport at a higher level as you went along. And I suppose, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, the, do you feel that they're they're um, the way your the way your parents pushed you into saying, well, you know, it's been positive and not giving up and lo- looking at what you can do in, instead of other people seeing what you can't do. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's very true. Um, and I look at life in in this way that, you know, I'm lucky. We only live once. And yes, I have an an impairment. 
and I could be down hard and miserable or I can get up off my ass and I can go and, and up, break down barriers and, and things like that. Um, I suppose in secondary school, just to touch on it, just in case there is anyone uh, that went through this, I was very badly bullied in the first two years in secondary school because of my impairment. But I made a very silly choice at that stage in my life. I didn't tell anyone that this was happening because I felt it was my fault. And for two years, I didn't enjoy school. I didn't like getting up. And my mom and dad just thought I was being a typical teenager, didn't want to get up. And it's subsequently, and it's kind of ironic now, I work in in commercial radio. And at the time, uh, Adrian Kennedy was talking about bullying one night on FM 104. And I went on the show that night because we were talking about bullying and it all came out what had happened and the horrific incidents that I'd gone through. And I, I then subsequently moved schools to St. Killian's Community School, where I was fully embraced by the PE teacher because the PE teacher at the time had a knee injury. So she was like, I'm not going to tell you what you can't do. You can tell me what you can do. And I always remember, and this is this is very funny, we went to Blessington Adventure Centre and that PE teacher got me to abseil because she didn't see yeah. that I couldn't do it. And it was kind of at that point when I was going into my junior search year, I kind of touched back base with Bacha because I wanted to find a sport where you know, that I was fully equal and it, it was my ability that was looked at rather than my disability. So I kind of, you know, started to touch back in with Bacha around that. But my mom and dad always said, you know, your school is more important and you can go back to Bacha eventually. So I completed my, my, my junior cert and my leaving cert and I finished my leaving cert then in 2004. And and at the time, the coach of the Bacha team, Keith Hayes, contacted me and he said would you think of coming back and I was like ah, I don't know because I wanted to go to college and I wanted to do the, the crazy college things and get drunk and do all that kind of fun stuff like everybody else does when they're 17 and 18 and I, um, I, Keith talked me into it and I came back in 2005 and then he said they, I was very quickly fast tracked through the senior panel because they saw potential in me so it kind of went from there. So I, I, I joined the national panel for Bocce in 2005. And, and then my first international appearance was in Rio in, in Brazil in 2006. Very good. And I suppose really from that point of view uh, where you were saying you spoke to Adrian Kennedy that night uh, where they were talking about bullying. Did you see that as a turning point in your kind of, I suppose, in your sporting career where, where you could say, right, this is what I want to do now and this is the sport I wanted to do. But I suppose really tell, telling the listeners a bit more about Boccia because I, I don't think there's, there are a lot of people that maybe don't know what, what it is. So I suppose I suppose with you, if you could tell the listeners what it involves and uh, and uh, tell us your achievements uh, because you have, you, you have uh, very impressive achievements as well in the same sport with, uh, you know, as a Paralympian. Yep, no, absolutely. And I guess with the Adrian Kennedy thing, it was a turning point because... I no longer felt afraid at that point and and it's the one thing I'll always say to anybody now, if if you're in trouble in school or you're not okay, ask for help. The faster you ask for help, the quicker it will be sorted out. So um two thousand and six then we were going to Rio and this was a hell of a trip for your first international competition. So Bocha is very much like a game of indoor balls, okay? You have six red balls, six blue balls. 
and a white target ball, which is called a jack, okay? Um, you play it on a court. The court you're in a box which measures one meter by two, and the court is, is 12 by six, okay? So red will always go first and botch it. Uh, they will throw the jack first in the first end. They're, an end is like a frame and snooker, just to simplify it, okay? Uh, so red will always go yeah. first if they win the toss, and there's four ends. Now, within Bacha, you, who's ever furthest away keeps going until they get near or until they run out of balls. So Bacha isn't just a game of getting close to the white ball. It's very much a game of chess and snooker rolled into one because you've got to outthink, he's put a ball there, how do I get a ball there? How do I block him there? How do I get more points? So, botches are very, sounds very simple, but it's not because the balls are encased in leather and they have a beanbag granule inside it. Now, within Paralympic sport, you, there's a thing called classification. So, within classification, you're put into a class based on your functional ability rather than your disability, okay? So, very much like boxing, you have welterweight, you have bantamweight, you have heavyweight. So, you compete against like for like. There's no... There's meant to be no um, difference between the athletes that you play against. So when I went there to Rio, I had to be classified for the first time. And within that assessment, you're assessed by a physio and a technical classifier and a medical doctor just to make sure that you have the impairment that you're stating that you have. So I was classified as a BC1. Now within Botchett, there is four classes, BC1 to BC4. BC1 and BC2 are cerebral palsy throwers. Slight difference with BC1, the athletes can kick the balls if they can't propel the ball onto the court with their arms. BC3 players use ramps because they can't kick or propel a ball. And BC4 are non-cerebral palsy players, but they would have other impairments such as spina bifida or muscular dystrophy. So... Being a BC1, it meant that I was I, I needed an assistant on court because I was unable to move my manual wheelchair. And I always tell this story because I didn't know at, when I went out to Rio that BC1 players could kick the balls. So because I was unranked, I got a very hard, hard enough pull. And my first game was against um, um, an Argentinian player uh, for, um, and he was the world number four. So nice, easy start for me. And when we came into the call room, we did the toss and whatever. And I saw his assistant taking off his sock. And I was like, uh, yeah. okay, what's going on here? And he put up his foot to shake my hand. And the coach leant over to me and he goes, oh yeah, this lad kicks the balls. And I was like, you didn't tell me that. And I didn't know, but I shook his foot not in his hand so it's kind of kind of a bit of a strange experience because obviously his foot would be pretty dirty from the from the court or whatever so I was kind of like oh, okay but I shook his foot anyway so Brazil was an enjoyable experience to be on Copacabana Beach for three and a half weeks I, I did quite well in the individual event I finished 10th in my first competition um, which was great and the team uh, we also play in teams in Bocha and that's back in the Beijing cycle you caught the team qualified. You didn't qualify individually. You qualified through the team, and then you're awarded an, an individual space. So the team finished sixth, and that was that was great. So for me, when I came back from Brazil, I was 27th in the world um, after my first event. The following year, I was in IADT doing my first radio course in in broadcasting, and they they weren't overly supportive. 
of me competing and, 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 and this was another challenge that I had to overcome. So they, they weren't overly helpful or assistive at the time and when I went to Vancouver I was trying to do my assignments while competing um overnight and getting them back in for our final exams. So for me I wasn't focused on Canada and it's one of the harshest lessons I pro- I probably learned very quickly. Um and I finished thirty first individually and that really hurt me because going from tenth to like finishing second last, you know, it re it really hurt, but it gave me a good kick up the backside to, you know, want to find out what how we how we got it better. So when I came back from Canada I'd finished my radio course and I finished with a distinction. I was one of only three people to get a distinction in the two year course. And I kind of went, right, I want to go full-time with this now because I wanted to get selected for Beijing. So within, while we were in Canada, I got classified a second time as a BC1 player, which meant now I was confirmed and I didn't have to be classified again. So we went uh, out to Beijing in 2007 for, 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 for familiarisation camp before Beijing, before 2008, before the, the big the, the, the big moment in the Paralympics. And... To say it's a culture shock when we went to Beijing, um, we had the only accessible bus in 2007 in the entire city of Beijing. Um, we, we, went, we went to Tiananmen Square on a sightseeing trip one day into the Great Wall. And when, some, some, when the botch team got off the bus in our power chairs, all the locals ran over to take pictures of these wheelchairs because they'd never seen a power chair before. Very good, and I suppose really looking at uh, Botcha, the 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 game the game you do play. Uh, what was it that attracted to you? Attracted you to that sport, and what other sports, if any, do you play as well, or is it just purely Botcha? Um, no, I play a couple of sports. What what drew me to Botcha was Botcha with the level of my impairment. Botcha was the only real sport that was open to me. So, you know, uh, getting to Beijing was was incredible. Uh, finishing fifth individually, I'll speed it up a little bit. Europeans the following year, two thousand and nine, I finished fifth. So two consecutive quarterfinals, and then in twenty ten, I the world championships were on, and that's when I hit the big time. I I became world champion in two thousand and ten, um. But a year later, or literally a month after I came home from Portugal. I got we got a letter from Cerebral Palsy International Sports and Recreation Association and they are the governing body and they were questioning my classification after five years. So in February of twenty eleven they decided because I'd improved and trained and got so bit much better, they reclassified me. So I went from being world number one to bottom of BC two. And and that was quite hard to right. take. Um it was a very difficult time because I was like you know, what's the point here? Um, I had done all this work and, and I was just taken away. And my, my dad passed away, but I always remember he said to me one day when I was in a bit of a mood and he was like, if you give up, who wins? And I was like, what are you on about? And he said, well, if you give up, who wins? And I said, well, I don't. And he goes, exactly. He said, you know, you're just going to have to improve and get better. And I did. And I still compete compete in Boccia as well. Um, I'm now the development officer for the, for the sport. Well, unfortunately, the sport collapsed. And we sit under Paralympics Ireland now, and I'm the development officer, along with Kieran Delaney, who's our chair, who you probably know yourself. 
Uh, Kieran's a great guy and has done a lot of work in yeah. the background to get us to where we are now. In terms of my other sport, yes, I went to DCU in 2011 uh, with the intention of doing a three-year degree, which turned into a five-year degree around competing and around London. But while I was in DCU, we set up a power chair football team and we're one of the only, one of, I think we're the only university in Ireland with the power chair football team. And I've competed with DCU in the, in the National uh, AIPF League here. It's a 32-county sport. It, um, so we've teamed in the north and the south. and We all, we play against each other, but with COVID, obviously the minute that's suspended. And I've competed for DCU at European level in power chair football as well. So I play power chair football and botcha. If I could play any other sports, I'd probably play them as well. But I'm limited to what I can do. So they'd be my two main sports. Yeah, that's it. And I suppose really because of, because you were going to college and that, and also you know you're you're a Paralympian as well with uh, Paralympics Ireland and things like that. Um, the time that you that's required for for the training and and competing for that kind of limits your time to be able. Yeah, to well, at, at the time, well. so from around about to two thousand and six to two thousand and twelve, I would have been funded by Sport Ireland. Uh, to the high performance game, so I was full, full time in that regard. But because the previous entity in Botcha collapsed, I actually I work full time for Sky Ireland, so I have to fund all my own trips at the minute when I was competing because um the sport is no longer deemed high performance. That's why I I got Kieran involved because Kieran has a good background in building an NGB and. I I was already doing fundraising, but I've moved into development. I haven't retired yet, but it does take an awful lot of time. But I'm lucky because I'm able to to work, um, and and promote that and promote myself to to help. And I have to thank uh, my employer Sky very much. Um, rather than take money from Botcha Ireland, they actually sponsor my role as development officer. So they give me additional time off as part of their corporate social responsibility to actually let me go and develop the sport. Um, and that was that was the brainchild of Kieran um, that actually got that up and running for us. So it's it, I'm learning a lot as I'm going. Um, it's trying me in the deep end. But in terms of when I was funded by Sport Ireland, I would have been training 40 hours a week, um, realistically, moving into the Paralympics because you're talking about measurements between balls literally sheets of paper um as the measure so that's the level of accuracy you've got to be at that's it well listen um i was just wondering there Parik, would you be able to would you be interested in maybe doing a series of interviews every week or every month and then because you know it's an it's an ongoing yeah, thing absolutely. about what, what you're doing as well and you know to be yeah, it would be very interesting for, for myself and, and, of course, the listeners to the podcast, um, you know, to, to see how you're getting on and things like that. So that that would be a great thing to do. So, yeah, that's maybe that's something we can, we can continue on with. So, listen, thanks very much for, for doing this interview. And, uh, no problem. Stay safe and take soon. care. All right. No problem. Thanks very much, Parik. And that's Parik. Moran, who is a Paralympian for Paralympics.
Welcome back to Sports Pulse with myself, Aidan Rafferty. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show for this week. We hope you enjoyed what we had for you over the last two hours. If you have anything you would like mentioned on next week's show, why not uh, send us a text? Or if you have any opinions or feedback, or you know, if you're a supporter or if you're involved in the club and you have an announcement you'd like read out, why not send it? Why not send a text or a WhatsApp message or give us a call on. 089-430-4496 or else uh, send us an email to uh, sportpulseshow at, at gmail.com so until next week thanks for tuning in bye